Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and dismiss all the children who are 3 years old to 7 years old. And uh, they can be dismissed. I'll go to the... Uh, where are you going to go, Mr. Josh? Down the front or to the back? We'll go down front here. All right, so Michaela, other way. Psst, Michaela, this way. Uh, they'll go down here to the front. And uh, they'll go over to our 8th building, which is the building right across the parking lot. And then uh, you can pick them up from there after the service. And if you're not sure where that is, we'd be happy to show you that. Second Peter chapter number 1. And I'm going to read a few verses here. So if you would, let's all stand together for the reading of God's Word. Second Peter chapter number 1. We'll start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Thank you. You may be seated. We read here in Second uh, Peter chapter number 1, uh, what the Apostle Peter is doing is he's accounting the divine inheritance that we've been given in Christ. It begins in verse number 1 by stating that this faith that we have, the faith of those that he's writing to have, he says that we've obtained a like precious faith. What he's saying is, uh, you know, lest people get confused and start painting pictures of me and naming churches after me and saying that I have the keys to the kingdom, that I'm some kind of special person, he wants to let them know that, hey, this faith that you have is no different than the faith that I have. The, the faith of the apostles, the faith of those 12 disciples, it wasn't on some different level. It wasn't some other type of experience that they have. It's the same faith that if you're saved this morning, you and I have as well. And he says that with this faith, there are several things that accompany it. He talks about here uh, that it gives us, in verse uh, number two, it gives us access to the knowledge of God. He talks about the fact that uh, through this faith, Christ has given us his divine power. He talks about in verse number three that through Christ and through our faith in him that he's given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. But then he says in verse number four, there's something else that we've received. He says in verse number four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Amen. Great and precious promises. He says that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, thinking about promises. I heard a story about a man who all his life, when he would get a paycheck, he would take $20 out of that paycheck and he would put it under his mattress every time he got paid. Well, as you could imagine, this money uh, started to pile up. And the man got sick and he, was, uh, he knew his time was about to end, that he was going to die. And as he was dying, he asked his wife to make a promise. He said, dear, I want you to promise me one thing. So my wife said, well, okay, what is it? He said, I want you to promise me 
that when I'm dead, you'll take all of that money from under the mattress and that you'll put it in my casket so that I can take it with me when I die. Well, he died and his wife thought about whether or not she could keep the promise. She decided ultimately that she would keep her promise and so she went and she took all of that money and she deposited it in the bank and she wrote a check and then placed it in his <laughs> casket. You know, people make a lot of promises that they can't keep. They make a lot of promises that they have no intention on keeping. I mean, you think about it. From our childhood, we were taught to be skeptical of the promises that people made to us, right? If somebody promised you something, it wasn't good enough. And so we had, uh, you know, a way in which we could authenticate whether or not that promise was real. Y'all remember what I'm talking about? The pinky promise, right? If it was a pinky promise, that was the real deal. You knew that person planned on keeping uh, what they had said. But he says here uh, that we've been given promises. And that word promise, it refers to this. Listen, it refers to a declaration to do something with implication of obligation to carry out what is stated. That's a lot of big words for some of you. I know that maybe just went right over your head. But what he's saying is that these promises that were given are different than the promises that we're used to hearing. The promises that we're used to hearing, uh, they're backed by maybe the good intentions of a flawed individual, but the promises that we're given here, these are backed by the character and the promise of who God is and what God says. And so uh, these are backed by the character, the divine power, he says in verse number three, of God. And he says a couple of things about these promises. Notice he says here that according to the Apostle Paul, Peter, these promises aren't just great promises. They're exceeding great promises. You know, we all know what it means to exceed, right? We think about exceeding uh, the speed limit. I was driving back from Disney World and uh, we had gone with my family. We were coming up I-75 and a police officer observed my vehicle exceeding the speed limit. And so he saw fit to pull me over so he could document the occasion and let me know that I had exceeded what was posted. And, uh, and a few days later, the state of Georgia, they even gave me a letter to congratulate my achievement. They let me know that I was a super speeder. I didn't know they gave awards for that sort of thing. The last time I got an award for going fast was in the fifth grade. Uh, but we understand what he's talking about, right? Exceeding, going beyond uh, what, is, what is expected. And so he's saying about these promises that they're exceeding great and precious promises. That word there for exceeding, it's the Greek word megistos. That maybe doesn't mean a lot to you, but it's a superlative of another word that maybe you've heard of, and that's the word megas, right? Anybody ever heard of the word mega? Right? We talk about something being mega, right? The mega millions. Everybody wants to try to win the lottery. It's something big, right? Beyond millions. And so he's saying this is the superlative. It's beyond the word mega. It's the highest degree of the word. And so Peter is speaking of the in, uh, incomparable magnitude of God's promises. He's saying that we can't even fully comprehend the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the promises of God. And so he says they're exceeding great, but not only that, he says that they're not just valuable as well, he says they're precious. Right, he says these are great and precious promises, meaning that their value is beyond calculation. They're highly prized. They're desirable. They're costly. Dale Moody said about the promises of God, he said, let a man feed for a month on the promises of God and he'll not talk about how poor he is. 
He says, if you would only read from Genesis to Revelation and see all of the promises that are given to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the Jews and to the Gentiles and to all his people everywhere, he says, you wouldn't go complaining about how poor you are. He says, you would lift up your head and proclaim the riches of his grace because you couldn't help it. You ever think about the fact that God governs the world according to his promises? He governs the universe according to these great and precious promises. Think about it. Nature, how God relates to man, the cycles of day and night, the seasons, our salvation, every area of our life is governed by the promises of God. John Bunyan said this. He said, the pathway of life is strewn so thickly with the promises of God that that is impossible to take one step without treading upon them. If you live life, you'll run into the promises of God. They're one of the most valuable resources that a Christian possesses. And yet many Christians fail to search them out. Many Christians fail to appropriate them. Many Christians fail to, as the Apostle Peter here says, become partakers of those promises. Russell Kesslow Carter, who's a native of Baltimore, Maryland, very close to where Pastor Ingram is this morning and near where I grew up, he was a star athlete. He was an outstanding student academically as well. He was multi-talented. He was an ordained minister, a a musician, a songwriter, and he earned a medical degree and spent the last several years of his professional life practicing as a physician. By the age of 30, Russell uh, Carter, he became critically ill with a heart problem. And the doctors told him there's nothing that they could do. And although Carter had been a professed Christian most of his life, it was during that health crisis in his life that he came to a new depth of his faith. God's word became more alive to him, became more real to him. He began to study it with a new zeal and a new intensity. And he came to the point where he prayed a prayer like this. He said, Lord, whether you see fit to heal me or not, from now on, my life is fully yours. And I'm going to stand on your promises. Well, he then went to go and write that great hymn that we sing, Standing on the Promises. It was several years later that his health improved and he did end up living a full and productive life until he died at the age of 79. And I share that story this morning not because God always sees fit to heal every physical ailment that we have uh, like Russell Carter experienced, but because like Russell Carter experienced, the promises of God, when we lay hold on them, will revolutionize our life. When we understand, when we know, when we partake and appropriate the promises of God, it will revolutionize our entire life. And God's desire isn't for us to just know of his promises. He wants us to partake of those promises as well. So this morning, if you want to take notes, I wrote just three thoughts this morning, three ways that we can become partakers of God's promises. I wrote down, number one, that in order to become a partaker of God's promise, we need to first of all ponder the promises. We need to ponder the promises. You think about from the very first chapter in Scripture, the Bible takes care to make sure uh, that it, that it uh, demonstrates and shows the dependability of our God. The dependability of our God. You think about in the first chapter of the Bible, every time God spoke, something wonderful happened. Right? It says over and over again, and God said, and then we read that followed by something wonderful being created. And you, can't, you can read that and only come away with one conclusion, if you're honest at least. You come, you come away with one conclusion, and that is this, is that God's 
word is sure. God's word is sure. What God says will happen over and over again. We find that happening. God said and it happened. God spoke and it happened. Now think about in Matthew chapter number 8. We find an encounter that Jesus had with a centurion. In Matthew chapter 8, in verse number 8, it says, The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. He said, But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And the servant was healed in the selfsame hour. You see, Jesus, after his encounter with the centurion, what does he do? He applauds the faith of the centurion. He says, man, I've not found faith like this anywhere in Israel. And here's this centurion, not, not one of God's children, but a man of faith. And his faith was a deeply held belief that what God said he would do, he would do. That's what faith is. It's a deeply held belief that God will keep his promise. He believed that, hey, what Jesus says is going to come to pass. Jesus, he says, if you will but speak the word only, if you'll just say it, I know that it will happen. He recognized the authority that Christ had, that God will do what he said. And the centurion, his faith, it was making a declaration that he believed in the power and the authority of Jesus. He knew that what Jesus spoke as the living word of God was definitive, that it would come to pass, that if he spoke it, it would happen. And can I tell you this morning that what the centurion found to be true is the same thing that God's people throughout the centuries have found to be true. And that is that God is a promise keeper, that God will do what he says he'll do, that God is faithful to his word. In fact, not only will God not break his promises, God is incapable of breaking his promises. His promises are irrevocable. Why? Because of who he is. Consider the fact that God is unchanging. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. James chapter 1 and verse 17. It says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. It says with whom? Is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He's unchanging. But hey, not only that, he's what we just sang about. He's faithful. He's faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to God, uh, to man. But God is faithful. Lamentations 3 and verse 22 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. He says, great is thy faithfulness. He's unchanging. He's faithful. But not only that, he's capable. He's capable. Romans chapter 4 and verse 21, talking about Abraham, it says of being fully persuaded that he, talking about God, uh, what he had promised, he was able also to perform. God's able to do what he says. Not only that, but he cannot lie. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, that by two immutable things, that means unchanging. He's talking about uh, him and he's talking about his word. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope 
that is set before us. Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. The point is this, is that this unchanging, faithful, capable God has revealed, inspired, and preserved a book of promises that you hold in your hand this morning that He promises He will fulfill. He's able to. One person spent a year and a half attempting to tally the number of promises that the Bible contains, and he came up with 8,810 promises. And I've seen different numbers, but the point is this, is that God's promises are abundant. They're abundant. Some are positive, assurances of his blessings. Some are negative, guarantees of consequences when we don't follow through and do what we're supposed to do. But all of God's promises are binding. God's not only a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. He wants you to know them. He wants you to read them. He wants you to ponder them. He wants you to think upon them carefully. If we're going to be partakers, we must ponder the promises. Hey, read them, but don't just read them. Memorize them. Meditate on them. Hey, it'd be a good idea to get a book that chronicles all the promises that are found in Scripture. Pour over them. Reread them. Meditate upon them. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, if we meditate on the promises and consider the promiser, we shall experience their sweetness and obtain their fulfillment. And so it's important that we ponder the promises of God in times of crisis In times of trouble, in times of trial, we need to recall the promises of God. We're going to look tonight at one of them, but you'll find many times in the Old Testament as God is preparing Israel or one of its leaders for a task, oftentimes he accompanies that task with a promise. I think about in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 10, it says, And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as I have done in all the earth, uh, such as I have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. As God is getting ready to send Israel to conquer this land, he didn't emphasize Israel's strength. He didn't emphasize Israel's ability. No, God underscored his strength and his ability to keep his promise. He prepared them for the journey that they were about to enter, the ups and the downs that they would experience by equipping them with a promise that they could fall back on. You know, nothing lifts the weary soul like the promises of God. So we need to ponder the promises. But not only that, we need to proclaim the promises. We need to proclaim the promises. You know, we live in a day of despair. And one of the metrics that you can use to determine how much despair is really there, uh, that rhymes by the way, I should have thought of that earlier, uh, is to consider the suicide rate in America. I mean, it's absolutely staggering. Since 2000, it says the suicide rate in America has risen 32%. 32%. If a disease saw a spike like that, it would be considered an epidemic. And so how do we explain such an increase? I mean, you think about it, Americans have never been more educated than we are today. We have more tools and technology than we've ever had. We have things that people before us could have never dreamed about. We're inundated with entertainment and recreation, and yet more people than ever are orchestrating their own deaths. How do you explain that? How is that possible? I believe the answer is that people are literally dying for a lack of hope. 
See, the world and its philosophy suck the hope out of our life. It sucks the hope right out of society. I mean, you think about it. Most people are taught in school from a young age that the universe that we live in, the earth that we live in is a product of chaos and chance. There's no divine purpose to your life. You're preached that religion and the Bible, well, that's just man's ideas, stories that man came up with. It's nothing real. That life here on earth is as good as it gets. Well, newsflash, life here on earth ain't that great sometimes. And so people are depressed. We can understand why they don't have hope. But the people of the promises of God, we have an advantage. See, God has given us a book of promises through which we can filter the problems and the difficulties that life throws at us. You know, for every problem in life, God has given us a promise. For every problem, there's a promise. Are you depressed this morning? Why not try out Psalm 9, verse 9 and 10? The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in time of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. You have a financial difficulty this morning? Why not try out Philippians 4.19? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Are you anxious this morning? Consider 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Are you discouraged this morning? Consider Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. For every problem, there is a promise. See, God's promises are the spiritual remedies to the ailments that we face. And we ought to make it our goal to become so acquainted with his promises That when we find ourselves in a time of difficulty, we can write ourselves a prescription. See, the world, it doesn't need more opinions. It doesn't need more hunches. It doesn't need more medications. What we need are definitive declarations of the mighty and loving God that we serve. We need to proclaim the promises. We need to proclaim them to others. We need to proclaim them to others. You know, one of the ways that we can proclaim God's promises to others is by passing out gospel tracts. Do you know every time you pass out a gospel tract, you're declaring the promises of God to that person. You're proclaiming promises of God to them. Promises like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Promises like Romans 10 and verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a wonderful promise of God's redemptive plan. And when we pass out gospel tracts, we're sharing and proclaiming those promises that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, that if they'll place their dependence in him, he'll forgive their sins and give them eternal life. You know, there are plenty of other ways that we can proclaim God's promises to others. I think about something as simple as just sending a text. As you're reading scripture and God impresses on your heart a promise out of God's word, maybe he'll put somebody on your heart to share that promise with as well. And just sending a simple text may be the encouragement that they need. That may be the very promise they need for what they're going through. You could proclaim God's promises by sharing them on social media. You know, people share plenty of things on social media that lead to worry, that lead to despair. Why not use your profile as a lighthouse of God's truth? Why not use it as a means through which you can proclaim the promises of the God that you serve to those that follow you? We need to be proclaiming them to others. But not only that, 
We need to be proclaiming them to ourselves. We need to be reminding ourselves of God's promises. I thought a couple different ways we can do that. I said, write them down. Writing them down is a great way to proclaim God's promises. You know, as you're reading the scriptures and you come to one, one of God's promises, note them. Keep a journal where you write down the promises of God. Maybe highlight them in your Bible. You know, in your Christ Walk journal, there's a whole section that talks just about that. It's called Claiming the Promises. And the idea, it says, is recalling the promises of Scripture that God has quickened to your heart. Stand by faith on the ground that God has given you. Write them down. Record them. Here's another way we can proclaim them to ourselves is to sing them. To sing the promises of God. Now, some of you, you might need to do that to yourself. Um, but have you ever thought about the number of promises of God that we find in our hymnal? The number of promises in the form of song that we sing in our hymnal, songs like Blessed Assurance, songs like we sang this morning, Great is Thy Faithfulness, A Mighty Fortress of God, Because He Lived, The Solid Rock, Draw Me Nearer. All of those are promises that are found in Scripture. That's why it's such a tragedy that many churches are abandoning the hymns. They're full of reminders of God's promises to us. Learn them. Use them as tools to remind yourself of God's promises to you. Not only that, I wrote down we can decorate our house with the promises of God. You know, one of the things that God instructed Israel to do was to put the law of God on the posts of their houses. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 9, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And the idea was is that they were to, to serve as reminders to Israel and to their children so that they would not forget the law of God and as a result would experience God's blessing. And God doesn't command us to do that to our houses today, but I think it's a great idea to put Scripture in a place where you're going to see it on a regular basis. Put those promises in a place where you can remind yourself of them. Some people write them down on cards and stick them to the mirror so every morning they can see them when they wake up. Some people will frame the promises of God and hang them on their wall or set them on a table somewhere. I've known people who uh, got large vinyl decals made of scripture and promises that they put in a place where they would see it every day. The point is uh, that in the dark world in which we live, we need to be proclaiming the promises of God. We need to be reminding ourselves of the promises that God has given to us. With all of the cares, with all of the troubles, with all of the problems in this world, we need to be reminded of the God's promises. So ponder the promises. Proclaim the promises. But if you want to be a partaker of the promises, you must also pray the promises. Pray the promises. Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 21 through 23 says this. It says, And having an high priest over the house of God... He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then he says this, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. The author of Hebrews, what is he doing? He's imploring us to boldly utilize the access that's been granted to us through the redemptive work of Christ. He's saying, come boldly to the throne. He says, come with a uh, full assurance of faith. Uh, don't waver in your faith at all. And in this admonition, he's emphasizing the, that faith aspect. And we know this to be true, that faith is critical when it comes to prayer. Right? We understand that. That's a very uh, early thought, uh, uh, truth that we're taught. It's critical when it comes to this matter of prayer. We think about James chapter 1. 
And verse number 5, he tells us, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But he says this, he says, But let him ask in what? Faith. Nothing wavering. So we know faith is important, Hebrews eleven six. 6, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Matthew told us, uh, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 21, he says, uh, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall say not only, uh, not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And so we understand that when it comes to this matter of prayer, faith is critical. Faith is very important. Without faith, our prayers are empty. Without faith, our prayers are in vain. But when the Bible is talking about coming to God in faith and praying in faith, it's not talking about some fuzzy feeling that we get. It's not talking about just having optimism for optimism's sake. Listen to the verse again in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And then he says this, for he is faithful that promised. He's faithful that promise. And he's, what he's saying is this. He's saying that our faith is predicated upon who Jesus is. It's based on what he has said, who he is. It's not based on our feelings. Oh, I just feel full of faith today. It's not based on our optimism. You know, I just I have a feeling that this, this prayer is going to work today. I just woke up in a good mood. It's going to happen. That's not what it's talking about. Our faith is based on who God is and what God has said. See, God's promises are foundational to our prayer life. And when we pray promises back to God, that ought to be a regular part of our prayer life. Our prayers ought to regularly include promises that God made. And we're not praying promises so we can remind God what he said. That's not what we're talking about. We're we're praying those promises for our sake. For our sake. Why? Because they're declarations of our faith and our understanding of who God is and what God has said he's able to do. Mark chapter 11 and verse 24 says, Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye may receive them and ye shall have them. It's not talking about name it and claim it Christianity. It's not talking about this manifest your miracles nonsense. No, he's talking about the fact that we don't have a right to, to believe something that the word of God doesn't tell us. But when God says it, hey, that settles it. When God has promised it, that means it's going to come to pass. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God, the scriptures, the Bible. And so let us claim his promises as we seek God for specific things. We need to reckon on the fact that what God has said is final because he is true. What he has said, uh, he has promised he will do. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? See, when we pray in accordance to the promises of God, we're praying the kind of prayers that God will answer. Because he's promised to. That's what D.L. Moody found to be true. If you looked at the Bible of D.L. Moody, you'd find in the margin, alongside different verses, the letters T. And P. And those letters stood for tried and proven. As he would read through the Bible, he would take God at his word and he would rest upon the promises of God and he found them to be true. And every time God fulfilled his promise, he'd write beside it T and P, tried and proven. And can I tell you this morning, you can do the same thing. God is inviting us to try and to prove his promises and he'll come through every time. 
I want to close with this. And that is in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus tells the story of two home builders. They had similar supplies. They had similar plans. Their aspirations were the same. They wanted to build a house. The only difference was the foundation upon which they constructed their houses. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. He says, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. He gives the story there of those two home builders, but what was it that separated the wise man from the foolish man? Both of them, it says, heard the words, but the difference was the wise man built his life upon them. So how's your foundation holding up this morning? You feel like the world around you is crumbling? You feel like things are spiraling out of control? You feel like it's all you can do to try to hold things together? Could be there's a problem with your foundation. Amen. See, when you're attempting to build your life on the foundation of your career, the foundation of your status, the, faith, the foundation of your finances, the foundation of your successes, you know what's going to happen? It's going to crumble. Circumstances change. Things change. And that's what you're building on. You're building on shaky ground. But when you build your life upon the surety and the promises of God, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find stability and you're going to find peace. So the question this morning is not, will God keep his promises? The question is, will we build our life upon them? We can either live according to the circumstances of life or we can live standing on the promises of God. One is a firm foundation. The other is shaky ground. So let me leave you with one more promise this morning before we pray. That's found in James chapter number 4, verse number 8. It says this. It says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Would you do that this morning? Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.